Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Finding My Voice. Today I will be talking about dysphoria and if you're trans and uh, suffer a lot from dysphoria you might want to avoid listening to this. Uh, to be honest it's it's mostly for the benefit of cis people who wish to understand that I will be explaining a few things. But I will also go into uh, role-playing stuff and how things I've learned by being dysphoric has helped me in my immersion when it comes to role-playing. And it's not something you need dysphoria for, but it's, dysphoria is a good way of explaining uh, how it's really awesome. So stay tuned for that, but I'm going to talk about dysphoria first. And specifically, obviously, I will be talking about gender dysphoria, which is the... Um, uh, it happens in the discrepancy between your identity and what you're assigned. It's a very broad concept because it covers a lot of ground. Uh, it's correct to call it all gender dysphoria, but the different kinds, uh, there might be more t kinds than I'm aware of because it's a spectrum, just like a lot of other things, or even a, um, a spectrum of spectra, several spectras. Uh, you, you, you'll understand, but yes. Um, who you are. First of all, let's start of what it is to be a trans person. Because I, I hear a lot of cis people who just, oh, I see, you feel like a woman. And even if you're well-meaning, a lot, a lot of transphobes use this as it's not real. Well, my brain is real, it's, it's, it exists. But, you know, you're not going to go into arguing. It's, it's, I'm not going to argue straw man here. But trust me, as a trans person, I get these thrown at me all the time. All, like literally all the time. But I'm going to assume you're a well-meaning cis person. And no, I don't feel like a woman. I am a woman. There's a big, big difference. If you are a cis woman, me being a woman, my identity is exactly the same as yours. It's the rest that does, that's, doesn't fit. Uh, that is where dysphoria happens. So it's not like it's not like you wake up one morning and you feel a little like this or a little like that. No, it's it's in the core of my identity. And trans people, don't worry uh, if you feel like, well, I don't always feel it as strongly. No, that's natural. Um, we, we have defense mechanisms. We numb ourselves. We um, we, tr we 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 uh, deny ourselves, and sometimes we're better at it than other times. But if you are trans. It doesn't matter how long you deny it, it's going to come back and bite you in the butt. So it's not a good thing to do. Trust me, I did it for many, many decades. And no, I do not recommend. Uh, but anyway, yes, being trans is not a feeling. It's who you are. Just like cis people have identities, you take them for granted, which, fair enough, you've never had your identity challenged, so you never had to. That's why it's hard for you to understand. I get it. But you have to get over that hurdle of realizing that, that there are things you don't understand. So I don't feel like a woman. I am a woman. Just like trans men don't feel like men. Um, they are men. It's not a feeling. It's an identity. And identity is not something you pick. It's something you discover. Uh, when, when, when I hear things like, why, why don't you just try being a gay man? Like, first of all, what? Like, who you're attracted to has nothing to do with who you are, like, in that sense. And and even if it was, like, 
just try being something different? Like, you couldn't do that? Well, you could pretend I'm a roleplayer, I'm an actress, so I, I, I can pretend, but it's still, that would just be acting or roleplaying. I cannot just pick a different identity. Like, of course, if you haven't discovered yourself, trying out different things can be a way to do that. But if you're talking to a 40-year-old trans person, and like, have you considered just being a very feminine man? And um, have I considered it? Have I considered it? I came out officially at the age of 42. I was out to friends way before that, but for at least 30 years of my sentient life, I tried desperately to not be a woman because being a woman treated like a man uh, in a body that disgusted me was so awful. So did I try? Yes, I super tried. And it's it's absurd that people don't realize how hard you try. But yes, as a cis person, you can assume I know more about myself than you do. You can safely assume that. Being I'm not saying don't be helpful, but consider a little bit. Like, oh, why, why don't you just try being gay? Like, oh gosh. Um, bless you for trying to help, but my gosh. Um, so it's, it's down, oh, it's disheartening to hear how little people understand us, even if it's understanding. So the best you can do is understand how little you understand and be open to what we say. That's a big help because when you if you try to grasp it and you grasp it the first thing that pops up in your head and you go well that must be it because that I can understand then it's probably wrong if it's easy for you to understand then it's probably wrong <laughs> and if you insist on things about us above our heads just don't okay sorry this isn't meant to be a rant this is meant to be helpful to just help you see what it means and Oh, sorry, I have to get to the dysphoria part. Yes, there are different kinds of dysphoria. And I don't think they are professionally labeled. Uh, some even don't call it dysphoria. Some call it uh, gender incongruence. Um, some trans people don't even have dysphoria. That blew my mind because dysphoria is such a big part of my life. That understanding that some trans people don't have it, I couldn't understand. I was in, I was in your situation, cis people. <laughs> I thought, wait, hang on. There are trans people that dysphoria? That can't be, because my dysphoria is so strong and tied to me that I can't tell where my identity begins or where dysphoria ends. Like, anyway, um, that was me having to understand that there are things I don't understand, especially when it comes to non-binary trans people, as I am binary. But yes, the dysphoria is when, when who you are and who you are perceived as doesn't, doesn't match. And it's not just perceived as, that's, that's a social type dysphoria. I have all of them, all of the ones I'm aware of, I have. Um, but social dysphoria, that's basically knowing in your heart that people around you don't see you and don't care to see you. They insist on you being someone you're not. They, ex they insist of your identity, who you are, isn't welcome. Bury that and be someone else for my comfort. That is obviously horrible. But for me, that's not the worst type of dysphoria. But yes, it is terrible. A good cure for social... Not cure. Um, the only cure for dysphoria is a successful transition. 
Uh, but the good way to alleviate it is just be around friends who care. That alleviates it a lot. Because friends who care, take care not to hurt you. When a big world really likes hurting you. But that is social dysphoria. The feedback you get, or it doesn't have to be conscious feedback. The look in people, people's eyes when they look at you. I, I'm sure other minorities feel this as well. It's It can make you just want to stay at home and rot away. And don't do that to people. That is social dysphoria. Then there's like what I call mental dysphoria, which is kind of an extension of social dysphoria, which is when this when the, how people treat you gets to you and you start developing your own internalized transphobia, where you start trying to agree with them and you feel like a freak and and you feel like like what you are is a lie. It's, it's a really, like, it's kind of like Lovecraftian cosmic horror here, because who you are, you are the person thinking these thoughts, and the person thinking these thoughts thinks of themselves as false. It gets mind-bogglingly uncomfortable, and... Yeah. Oh, yes, it's terrible. And um, th things that can trigger this is, like, there's voice dysphoria, which is the thing I'm tackling here. Um... I hate the sound of my voice, even though I know it's doing pretty good now. But I wanted to do better, and I wanted to be better at doing this. And when I hear myself back, when I'm in voice chats, and I hear my voice, I just, it hurts me, and I get really sad. It's extra hard because I used to love singing. But I have to practice using this range now, which means I can't delve into a lot of the range when I sing, so I... And I haven't practiced my new range enough to be a good singer. So having voice dysphoria when loving to sing is awful. It's giving up something you love. But I hope, I hope, I still sing for fun. It doesn't sound good anymore. I used to be pretty good at it. But I'm hoping that with practice much more voice practice, I will get there again and enjoy the sound of myself singing again. I hope so. Uh, so then that leads into the type of dysphoria that I find the most painful, which is the physical dysphoria. And again, people have this uh, to different degrees. I have it a lot. And that's the like how you f like feel physically. Like, um, when, when the body is not what your brain is expecting. And for here, it gets very palpable for me in a way that I can't escape from. Well, I can't easily escape from. There are actually things, brief, um, brief ways to alleviate that pain as well. I will get to that. That comes into role-playing. Um, but yes, feeling my body not looking, not, not being in the shape that my identity expects causes distress, feeling stubble on my face. It's, 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 like, it's like touching something that's, that makes you want to throw up. And um, the lack of, of breasts is also very dis disconcerting. And I explained this to a friend in a very good way. I have to remember this. Um, 
you know, you know, how the, like the, the, the data we take in, the sense data we take in and analyze, there's always holes in it. The nerves don't give you a very clear transmission of what's happening around you. And, and everything is transported to your brain through nerves, like vision, uh, scent, and, and sensation, and everything. And what the brain does, it fills in the gaps with imagination. That's why imagination is such a powerful tool. That's why you can use it so well in role-playing, because a lot of what we see here and feel is based on imagination. Because the picture the brain gets, that it wants to show you, is full of holes, and it fills the holes in. Um, so the brain does this automatically. And for me, uh, my brain knows what it should feel like to have a femininely coated body and femininely coated body parts. This comes from empathy. I am a very empathic person and we all, we are, unless we are psychopaths, we can look at something happening to others and imagine how they feel. It's, it's a function that human brains have. And be, growing up trans, it's something my brain has done very actively when, when it comes to people I identify with. So I have developed uh, a body definition in my brain that corresponds to a female body, but then it gets the nerve input from a from a from a from a male coded body, and that's everything feels wrong, everything feels disgusting, and sometimes downright painful. And then, uh, so with a lack of breast thing, um, I explained it to someone like sometimes when I think about when I'm not thinking about things or I'm distracted and my body forgets to be used to getting these wrong signals, it can just start filling in gaps. And when my brain fills in gaps from sensory input, it uses imagination from my identity. And it actually fills in the gaps of uh, the feeling of having a, a female body, which is... I told I told um, my psychiatrist this uh, at um, uh, the, uh, one of the people who um, who invest is investigating me for gender dysphoria, and she said this was very uncommon. Uh, it's not completely unheard of, but it's a very uncommon level of dysphoria where we actually have brief hallucinations of of having the body we're looking for, uh, and we don't even cause it ourselves. Now I can use. I'll explore it and manage to find a use for that kind of thing. Getting there. Um, but yes, for me, when that happens and uh, I can be half asleep on a bus and then the bus go, uh, drops over a speed bump and I jump up and I just snap to it and my brain hasn't completely snapped out of being half asleep and not paying attention to the to the sensory input and it just fills in and I feel the bounce of, 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 of an ample female bosom and just for half a second and then and then snap back to reality and it's like what just happened <laughs> I felt it clearly um, and that is disconcerting it's <laughs> it's I've, I've explained it like like waking into a nightmare waking up into a nightmare that is uh, horrible and there's the other thing of uh, when, when your brain is expecting breast and not getting them uh, i've explained that as um you know when you're walking upstairs and you get to the last step and you were expecting one more 
So you put your, you try to put your foot down in the air and then, whoa, kind of fall down. <laughs> uh, that's kind of when, when you expected the step to be there and there's no step there and you, wah, that's the feeling of, of suddenly that, whoa, they're, they're gone. They're not, oh, sorry, they're not, they weren't over there. <laughs> but yes, that is the feeling of something that should be there, but isn't. And yes, I know it's not that terrible to accidentally think a, a staircase is longer than it is. But imagine feeling like that all the time. Like, not just that brief moment, but all the time. Terrible, right? And there's also, of course, the genital dysphoria. I'm not going to try... It's going to go into TMI territory, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. But um, I do need to say a few things. And um, this is the bane of my existence because, first of all, I'm not a very sexual person, which is lucky because my dysphoria makes sexual activity incredibly unpleasant and I just don't like I've tried a few times and I've done it a few times but it's not worth it and that's why I'm kind of hanging out I'm not I'm not like celibate or well technically I am I guess but uh, I am not my ideals aren't anti-sex it's just that dysphoria just makes it impossible for me to enjoy it so I'm not chasing sex, you know? And well, HRT has pretty much killed my sex drive. That's gonna, uh, that's probably the, the anti, uh, anti um, androgens. So as soon as I have bottom surgery, my sex my, my tiny little sex drive might come back. Um, and then the, when the dental dysphoria isn't there to mess me up, maybe I can actually start living at that point. Um, that's why it hurts extra much that Sweden is so pathetically terrible at granting care to trans people. But anyway, yes, having genital dysphoria, it's kind of like the whole area there is just a painful tumor. Like a part that's just like Lovecraftian body horror and it's hard to live with. Again, it's there all the time. So that's, uh, of course, there's other smaller things like body hair. Um, uh, there's, uh, I, I, I don't want to be as tall as I am, but that's, that's not actually like a, a deep-seated dysphoria. I think that's just me wanting to pass better, even though there are tall women, so it shouldn't be an issue. But it is, it is for trans people. Remember, uh, we're always like, what a person is, is like a combination of a lot of attributes. And a lot of cis women have some attributes some people call male, but because the majority of them are of another sort, they still pass as female in society's eyes. But as a trans woman coming out late, I have a lot of attributes people will use to misgender me. And um, uh, I feel like I have to compensate. And I do. I don't, I, it's, it's terrible that I do, but if I want the world to respect me, I have to overcompensate, you know. <laughs> Uh, at least for now. But further down the road, uh, HRT can do more of its magic, surgeries can do even more, and I'll feel better again. Again, I've never felt good. So, Oh, wow, that sounded harsh, but it's actually true. I've, I've never lived in a world where I don't feel the pain of dysphoria. Okay, now I hope you understand. If you have any questions, more questions, uh, uh, it's fine. I, it's not that I... I hate talking about the TMI stuff. Uh, it's just that I'm worried about you guys. <laughs>
So if you have any questions, you can ask them. Now, um, and I will answer, of course. Uh, but now, um, how have I used this? Now, I'm not saying that having dysphoria automatically make you, makes you a great actor or uh, that you need dysphoria to be a great actor, but there's, I went to acting school and um, we studied this whole phenomenon with sense data because this acting school um, really wanted you to imagine everything about being the character and sense data included. So you're uh, supposed to be able to create memories with and also present where your imagined sense data superimposes the actual sensory input your brain is getting. This is possible thanks to the whole process of, you know, the brain is used to using imagination to filling in gaps. You just you just use the same tactic on a completely blank picture and just take the imagination instead of the actual sensory input. And that has helped me alleviate, um, alleviate dysphoria a lot because that means I can feel like I have the body I want to have. Now, it's only when I'm role-playing or when I'm act playing a, a female character, but it works. It works, and I've used it to playing fairy tales where I played a bear, I felt giant fangs in my mouth. It's, it's quite amazing. And that has helped me uh, in my acting when I learned how to use it, because that, this is a big challenge for most actors to use this, because identity has safe, uh, safety mechanisms. We want to hang on to who we are and our, our reality. So that's that's one of the biggest hurdles an actor has is to train our brains to let go of ourselves so we can let the character in. And we have like mental reflexes that stop us from letting go of ourselves. Um, but I don't have those mental reflexes. I don't have that 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 safety mechanism. Because I hate where I am. I have hated my body. Which means that I have the ability to let go of myself very easily. Be my brain isn't going, no, I have to keep my identity. My brain is going, oh, finally. No more of that male bleep stuff. Um... And that's what would be wonderful for me. That, that means that I can act with sense data so much easier than a lot of other people. And so I've been able to use my dysphoria, the things that I've gained from having dysphoria, from being dysphoric in acting. And I can carry that over to role-playing when I realized that role-playing became so much more magical to me because I actually feel like the character I'm playing body-wise. And not only that, I, uh, there's more to sensory data, like smell. I can smell, I can smell the campfire, I can feel the taste in my mouth of the food my character's eating. It's just absolutely amazing. And if you're not a dysphoric person, this will not be as easy for you as it was for me, and it will require practice. But if you do it, you're going to have a fantastic experience when role-playing. So you can just, I would, I would invite you to try a few exercises. Because you start, you start practicing this on your own, not in-game. Uh, you're not supposed to work harder than game. In game, it's supposed to happen automatically and easily. But sit down sometimes and just ponder the life of your character. Think of a memory in your backstory and populate that memory. And remember to see the memory in your head in first person through your character's eyes and then ask yourself a question. What does my skin feel like right now? 
Well, you feel the weather. You feel the temperature. Do you feel the sun? Do you feel the rain? Uh, and then don't answer the question consciously. Just let your imagination fill it in. What does the rain feel like? Hold out your arm and ask yourself, what does it feel like when the rain is falling on it? And you visualize the rain. Gently. Always do this gently. Never force a picture in. Do it by asking a question and letting your brain fill it in. Um, what's the taste in your mouth? What did your character have for breakfast? And oh, oh by the way, always think of it as me. Don't think what, what don't think my character. When you're imagining yourself, think of it as me. I am this person. Where am I? Where's my home in relation to where I am right now? What has happened earlier today in this memory that I'm playing up? Uh, what do I expect to happen after? Because we always have expectations of our day. We should have that in our memories too. Um, where is the village in retrospect to where I am? Where is the village well? How often do I go to the well to pick to get water? How do I keep myself warm in winter? That's something we always have in our memories. What, does my, what do my clothes feel like? When is the last time I cleaned them? How old are they? Do I need to repair them? Have I just repaired them? Just fill in all these gaps. Think about the people around you. What's my relationship with these people? And it's not no stress. Just do it slowly and bring things in. Notice little details. Look at a rock in your imagination of a specific shape and remember that shape. Next time you want to go back to this memory, start with a shape with a specific detail. That'll help you. That'll bring other things in. And just practice. Sit down a couple of times a week. And maybe in the beginning, just 20 minutes. Like I do this hours every day. Now, maybe not, maybe not plural, but at least an hour a day. Uh, where I just have a character and I imagine living the character. Imagine a memory. Imagine being being her. Feeling what she feels. Uh, like, I'm not just talking emotions. I am especially talking sensory input. And fill these things in. Eventually, you will start to feel it. In the beginning, you won't. Don't, don't feel like you're doing it wrong when it doesn't work at once. It never, it will never work at once unless you're lucky, like I was. <laughs> lucky. Lucky to be horribly dysphoric in a way that destroys your life. So, well, it's not that lucky. But it was interesting to realize what I could do with it. And you know what? You could contact me and I can talk more about this. I don't want to make this a three-hour episode, but... And there are other exercises you can do, but I think this is how you should start if you've never done this before. Do this often, as often as you can. And it's enjoyable too, by the way. Enjoy doing it and pick another memory. Uh, make a couple of very detailed memories for your character that you can step into and just live. And just let things happen. Rem and remember, uh, don't put emotions in. Think of what emotions your character should have. And think of it again as me. What emotions am I having right now? Emotions aren't something you do, it's something that happens to you. You put yourself in a mind space and then you imagine the event that caused the emotion and let it happen to you. That will immerse you greatly. So do this exercise. If you have questions about it, if I was unclear, unclear, if I, I'm, I'm Katerina, I'm not Claire, I am unclear. Oh God, that was terrible. I am so sorry. I think it's time to end the episode. So feel free to ask questions about this process because it's absolutely fascinating. It's great for acting, but people overlook how fantastic it is for role-playing. Um, this daydreaming, and when I say daydream, people imagine I just sit down and daydream casually. No, I don't, it's not casual. This is homework. Like, that requires your full attention. You don't do it while you're watching TV. You can do it while you're watching TV, actually, once you're starting to get good at it. You can start bringing in sensory input from other things all the time, which is one way I alleviate dysphoria. 
but yeah, you can't do that at first. Just don't even try. Uh, do this thing. What you do is set aside time of the day where you turn off your phone, you don't have music on, uh, just sit down, relax your mind, and bring in a character memory. Fill in the sense data, sensory, all five senses, um, your sense of direction and location, where you are, and relationships around you, and a few memories. So that this memory starts to feel like a real memory, because once it does, the picture is ready to superimpose reality. Your brain can do that. You can actually feel it. Before I go, I want to explain uh, an example. This green, I did a green screen acting course, and apparently this is very common. Um, when actors in a course, um, we, we were all handed um, oranges, and we were told to study the orange, find little details on the orange, smell it, feel the weight, feel the temperature, scrape it, and smell what smell what it's like when you scraped it, and then do this several times exactly the same way, and then remove the orange and do it again without the orange, as if it was there. As if you're acting in a movie where they're going to have a CG orange for some reason, because they have too much budget and they don't know what to do with it, I don't know. But yeah, it's an exercise. <laughs> so you do it and you think of the detail and you just gently imagine the things coming back to you, even though the orange isn't there. And once you start getting good at this, this is fantastic actually, because when people, when this starts happening, you act, when, when you become good, when this happens, when you get it right, you suddenly see the orange in your hand, even though it's not there. You feel the weight and you smell it, even though it's not there. And it's really, really cool. And it's real. Like, I promise you, I've done this. And you see other people, when they succeed the first time, it freaks them out. They stand up and they scream because they think they just broke reality. You haven't broken reality. You just hacked into a very powerful part of human imagination. Human imagination can superimpose what we perceive as reality. Because it's you, like you're not seeing the sensory data. You're seeing what the brain imagines from the input it gets. So we're always, always just seeing imagination. You can hack into it. Do it. Do it. Your role playing is going to be so much better. All right. Thank you for listening. And please, this time I really want questions because I I made it. I made an effort here to explain what my life as a trans person is like, both in my in identity-wise, dysphoria-wise, and I gave advice for acting and role-playing that I find this genuinely good. I would love feedback on this, and I could follow up in a later episode. Thank you so much for listening. I love you. Have a wonderful day.